0: Listening to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host, Tip Top Tim Fitch.
1: And hi everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Construction Big Breakfast Podcast with me, your host, Tim Fitch. And this week I've got a very good friend of mine, Andy Allen. Introduce yourself, Andy.
0: Uh, Morning, everybody. Um, So, yes, I'm Andrew Allen. Um, I have for a long period of time worked in investment management in the real estate sector. So, I've most recently been head of research, head of research and strategy at investment management businesses. So, those are the investors who represent, you know, the the managers represent the pension funds and insurance companies uh, that, in our case, invested in real estate around the world offices, shops, office blocks, you know, industrial sheds. Residential, uh, and I was head of research, trying to work out where we should invest and what we should think about.
1: So, Andy, a veritable guru on uh, the property sector, but are you a guru in the breakfast sector? So, come on, what did you have for breakfast this morning?
0: Well, Tim, um, so I've, I've, I went for two courses this morning. So I've, I've been, wow. very good, I've been very good and had my my fruit and muesli, but. Um, I've also had what the uh, Portuguese refer to as marmalade, um, and, and uh, just in the in the blue Peter way, here's one I prepared earlier. Um, so I have had my uh, my homemade quince jelly. Um, so just as a small factoid for you, turns out that the Portuguese is marmelo, um, and so that's uh, quince jelly in Portuguese is marmel is marmalade. Um, yeah, well, there's a there's a yeah, fact. you heard
1: it here first, folks. The um that marmalade means something different in Portuguese than it does in good old English. So that, I have to say, that's probably the most informative thing we've actually said about breakfasts. Uh, and this is episode 35 or something. So <laughs> you've already demonstrated your deep learning and in this case, cultural knowledge. But I'll just let everyone, know, I had my fairly normal breakfast. I had two... Uh, two soft boiled eggs with toast this morning which is what I usually have mid week. Anyway, on to the meat and potatoes which neither of us had for breakfast. I've known Andy, well it must be 12 years now Yeah, because we met, if I remember correctly, uh, I think the first time we met I was trying to uh yeah, I was trying to demonstrate or well, my my imp- impression of what it would be like to give birth. <laughs> because we, we were an antenatal cl- class, weren't we, with our wives and a few yeah. other people um, in Chesham all those years ago. <laughs> that was one of the exercises so we could empathise. So uh, we bonded yeah. over uh, a fake birthing. Yes there we are <laughs> anyway that, that's another factor so Andy we're leaving we live in interesting times so the whole world of work offices uh and presumably uh property investment is turned upside down yeah what's, what's happening what's happening
0: well you know the, the subject's enormous Tim and um I you know I I assume your audience is mostly they specialists in the construction sector. So, you know, sort of distant cousins of the sector that I've been in. Um, So, you know, yours, the brains behind getting things built and ours, the perhaps brains that um, invest in these things, you know, the built environment. And, you know, there's always changes in the built environment. And I think that the obvious issue with COVID is that it's really accelerated some of the fundamental changes that were happening anyway. And, you know, we could talk about all of those sectors all day, but, you know, perhaps one that's most interesting to to your audience, your clients and so on, is what's going on in the office sector. Um, I think retail people would understand that's been really damaged by the change online, but there are some changes within the office sector um, too, and COVID really accelerates that. Um, And I think, you know, what we probably should talk about is the 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 risks that that creates in this market and you know is it bad is it good is this the end of offices as we know it you know how do the uh employers you know think about this how do they marshal their troops to do the things that everyone wants them to do um you know the long and the short of that is there's a great deal of change right now and at this point in time the short term we don't really know yet quite what the impact this will have on values now valuation is not perhaps the most interesting science but it's going to really matter ultimately to your audience because you know the value the worth of these buildings that people invest in you know ultimately will drive the business that becomes you know that is the construction industry of course if people aren't you know if these offices are not worth as much pe- as people first thought or if the risk around these investments is changing then that will alter the investor's appetite for these buildings um and so we are in pretty uncertain times as to as to what happens next you know we're in a period of sort of hiatus really before people quite work out what's currently happening and what impact it really has but it must be said that the risks in the office sector for investors is is highly elevated um, and that will create challenges
1: do you see the obviously there's what's happening now and then perhaps what might happen post I'm hope I'm talking as an optimist now that post the end of the current crisis
0: yeah
1: uh, which i hope is sooner rather than later but, but I don't think anyone think it's going to end before april do they don't think so yeah what what do you what do you think it, we're in the current crisis no one knows what to do but looking forward I suppose there's there's various scenarios isn't it there? there's the there's a vaccine and we're all over it by the summer and it we get back to normal. I suppose the other extreme is it—it's like the common cold. You can't get rid of it; it keeps coming back. Yeah. So on and so forth. Now, I'm not talking about how we're going to deal with it epidemiologically, but I suppose those two scenarios are interesting places to uh, start when you 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 start thinking about well, what does the future of offices in in major cities look and feel like?
0: Yeah, quite and. You know, currently so there's sort of short now and then there's medium sort of a few months away and then there's you know the longer term so obviously this is the world's biggest experiment of you know workforce employment where those people who you know obviously lots of people aren't office based but those who are office based have um you know been sent home in this enormous experiment that that you know in a, in a positive sense has largely worked um you know everyone will be familiar with how that's uh, engaged, and that gets really interesting because you, you you can read lots of stuff that suggests that people are very productive at home. So there's the the optimists about home working would suggest that you know, this works, that we can do teams calls or podcasts or whatever else it might be. But we don't really know yet. You know, we don't really know you know medium term, long term as to whether this is productive or not. I think the way that these these things are calculated is for routine jobs. You know, can you write a report on X by this date? Then of course that can be done at a distance, but it doesn't really tell you anything about the quality of that work. It doesn't tell you anything about the collaboration. It doesn't really tell you about, you know, how the culture of businesses hold together. Um, and I think, you know, you being an employer of, you know, many people, you know, I'm sure you're feeling it. You, how do you marshal the people that you, you know, you're working with and trusting, you know, to, you know, think about the future together? Because, of course, if you put people at a distance, they, they might start to drift away from the common goals that you're trying to achieve you know, with Brandon and the others. You know, it's 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 really quite difficult. And we don't know yet. This is this is an experiment that's very early stages.
1: I think there's another element to that because there's the whole how do you you're right, keep the culture. How do you keep the energy and the innovation and all of that stuff up, which is what everyone's been talking about for many months now? But I think at this point in time that we've reached, sort of end of September, October, where this isn't going to end, you know, Boris this time went from it will be over in 12 weeks to saying it's going to be another at least another six months. I think everyone believes him. Uh, and that I've noticed, um, not only with my own team, but I'm sensing it with our clients as well. It's That's a real downer on people yeah. personally. So I think there's a whole issue around the isolation, the feeling of uh, helplessness, out of controlness, not being able to plan holiday, all of that stuff. There's a there's a, there's a a dimension there that needs to be yeah. Uh, managed. Yeah, you know, it's a fact. We've got to, you know, there's anxiety out, there. there's all sorts of stuff which needs to be managed and is yeah. a, a consequence of this way of working.
0: And well, the HR team, so HR teams are clearly waking up to the fact that they need to in, you know, support their managers uh in working out how to support people who are isolated at home. You know, you know, you and I have got the benefit of working in, you know, high quality sort of private office spaces at home. But we you know, it's not about us, is it? It's about you know the younger workforce coming through who haven't had the benefit of collaboration in an office setting and you know, those water cooler moments that people talk about that, you know, the, the sparks of creativity, you know, that is much more difficult to undertake now. And, you know, where I was going with that sort of more medium term, longer term, I think there is a risk that it changes the structure of employers, you know, such that, you know, your business is relatively young, but, you know, there are functions of your business that you could you know, sorry, you you already significantly outsourced, you know, do you have to have your own HR team, tax specialists, accountancy, you know, the traditional business would have had all those sorts of things in-house. And I think your core team obviously needs to be core, but I'm not so sure that many of the legacy type office employers going forwards will think of it that way. You know, if you've, if you've trusted people to be at home, which was always the risk, then maybe you can just trust an outsourcing company. Yeah, you know, maybe the corporate structures change and and why I say that from an office investment perspective is it could change the the nature of the headquarters buildings, for example, it could change the way that um major employers think about their staff if you've already trusted them to be from home well, as I say, maybe they're outsourced maybe that changes the you know the demand for these enormous h q buildings you know so then yeah you know, that's a sort of bit out there you know thinking but you know it's not for the near term, but i think the the culture of work um i think is a really interesting ex- area and just on that the you know, I, I used to work with uh, uh, some academics who, you know, years ago who were at BT um, back in the day, who were talking about telecommuting in the 80s, you know, about the technology permitted people to work from home even then, but nobody trusted them to do it. You know, nobody trusted the workforce to do it. Um, and now we've been forced. So that, as I say, the COVID has accelerated uh, this fundamental change.
1: No, I, I, that's obviously a very uh, pertinent point, which has been well made by lots of us. Yeah, I'm a relatively slow doctor of technology. So although I invested in all the gear, you know, uh, we're, we're currently filming this on uh, Teams over Teams. Um, I had resisted myself using Teams meetings and I insisted that all my staff went to see their clients and in a, in a sense because the ex- clients except, expected it. So we... We used to spend a lot of time, a lot of money, all of our teams going around the country, uh, attending meetings with the clients as part of doing our work. And now it's all done remotely, all of it. And it's not just us having to do that. The clients had to as well. And it was the fact that it to have a Teams meeting, two people who are remote have to agree, don't they? Yeah. That's the key thing. It's not just me, it's you. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, before there was a resistance for all the reasons that we all, in March, yeah, people of my age, that <laughs> yeah, you should see people face to face and all of the stuff you can pick up, which is all true. But on the other hand, when you've got no choice, then the, the world's changed, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, and and it, it it gets more difficult because you know the, the near term issue for for investors in offices, so the people I used to represent. Um, you know, what does that mean for them so if you're thinking about investing in office why do people do that they you know, they tend to like the familiarity of offices and i don't know how much you know your audience knows but the you know the people who typically own london offices may well be foreign nationals you know they may well be individuals pension funds sovereign wealth funds You know, it's a very very global um, marketplace one of the most global real estate marketplaces in the world and so there's plenty of money there to um, that wants to invest in those markets, and the reason they do it is because they like the income that comes off those buildings. Um, you know, it's it's very well. They believe it's very stable over the long term. It's actually one of the more cyclical markets. It always has been. Um, they they can deposit large amounts of money in these buildings. You know, they um, they can probably get a yield. Um, you know, a distribution of sort of four or five percent. You know, over the long term. So that's pretty healthy. And of course, what's happening today is the interest rates are very, very low, as you will know, and on a relative basis, you know, if fixed income investing pays you very little income, then real estate can pay quite a lot. So as much as there's negatives in this market and concerns, there is capital there that wants the income that comes off these properties. But the problem is what comes next? Because you, we all know that people, um, you know, that there are obviously space standards and uh, conditions within these office um, workplaces that have to be met, You know, i.e. we need to be socially distanced at work as well as uh in places of leisure and so there's a really interesting fundamental layer too because the the trick for investors over the last few years is to to less space so the space density i.e how many workers you can get in a square meter has you know has been compressed so the new towers may be eight square meters a person but in the 80s and 90s when i first started working they might be 20 square meters so you could get two or three times as many people into the same amount of space well COVID clearly turned that on its head. Um, so if you now need, you know, if you now need more space per worker, then of course the effect of that is that the cost per worker of the floor space is more. So it's gone up, whereas it was falling for fifteen years. <clears throat> so not only has it gone down, not only you know, do you have uh, more space per worker, but the flexibility that the occupier wants is going to be much greater because they're not entirely sure what happens next. So they want, you know, they won't want to sign long leases, you know, twenty-year leases. Yeah, you know, a, a relatively uncommon now. It's more like a five or ten year lease. And so with shorter leases, more cost per worker, probably more cost per worker of the operation of the building as well, because you know, I'm no expert in the um, you know, the the sanitization and so on, but there are cleaning techniques that will be required that will be mod there'll be moderations in the in the place that are required, you know, whether they're screens or something else. Um, so that ultimately means that operating these offices is more expensive as well. So you've got shorter leases, you've got more cost per worker of operating the desk, you know, just the physical amount, and then also costs of running it. And that risks more depreciation and obsolescence. So what that means in investment language is the the risk premium of investing in offices is going up. Now, that's not to say offices are necessarily a bad investment. It just means that investors need to be much, much more careful and you would expect values to shift.
1: Yeah, After so, I'm talking about our own situation now. We've made our uh, office COVID secure. uh, And that means all the stuff you've said, Andy, which is uh, we've got screens, we've got extra cleaning, we've got hand wash gels and all the rest of it. Plus, we've got a protocol to reduce the occupancy at any one time. We've got a self-developed app so we can manage all of that stuff. But... So but what that you're quite right, even in our office and you've been to our office, which is not densely populated in terms, you know, there's plenty of space for every person. Even that we've had to uh, limit how many people could be there at any one time. Plus, what we've now noticed is, and of course, we're still in a semi lockdown, is that people are interacting much more as we are, exactly as we speak, talking at a computer, and the acoustics in their office don't work
0: okay interesting
1: because if you've got more than w- one person talking it doesn't work so we need to now that might there might be a technological uh way of dealing with that having a more sophisticated headset with noise cancelling and all of that stuff that might help special microphones but it's the fact is people have got used to uh, working in a spare bedroom or you know, if you're lucky enough to have a spare room in your house with the door closed or open depending on the temperature and who else is in the house, you can do that. But in the office, it doesn't work. And so although we, you've been to our office, we, we've spent a lot of money having it all fitted out. It was all fitted out for the old way of working. And now it needs rethinking. Now if ours needs rethinking, I expect... Never it, most no, other offices will because they're set up for a particular way of working, which has changed now. Yeah. Was... So, yeah, you know, some people in our case can work from home most of the time. They're going to want to go in the office occasionally. We want them to. We want them to have be able to collaborate face to face when it's safe to do so. Uh, but that the office shape and style of the office will change. It needs to.
0: Yeah and as you say that's the case for everybody and I I don't think that's necessarily all bad. The the senses I'm getting are that um, smaller suites, smaller office buildings are actually holding up relatively well. Um, You know smaller companies quite happy to occupy as, as as you do but if you think about some of the you know the market is not all the same no by no means are all offices the same but if you think about some of the towers that have been built in the last few years in the city Um, you you really have to question how that works now because they how do you get the people up you know the 15 20 30 stories whatever they are um, you know the capacities of the lifts won't be quite right Um, it really changes the efficiency of those buildings Um, that's not to say people don't want to work in offices it's just to say that that is much more difficult It, it would suggest that you know, lower rise buildings where people are more able to walk up with the buildings, you know, less plant and machinery in them, more flexible space, that that market would hold up better. And, you know, the bit we haven't talked about, you know, we both live in the suburbs, but people aren't confident about uh, using public mass transit to get to places of work. So, you know, we were in the West End last week and I've been in the city recently and it's very, very quiet. Um, yeah. And understand that, until that's sorted out, People are not going to want to go to those locations, which, of course, exacerbates this issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right. The I'm agreeing with you. I mean, the, uh, We both live on the metropolitan line, which we're lucky in the current circle is very quiet. It is air-conditioned. Um, but if you live... If you're trying to go north-south on the northern line or even east-west on the central line my colleagues who are using that say it's still pretty busy and there's no chance of complying with what we are told is the safe social distancing. Whereas on the metropolitan line, you can, you know, you can travel into town even at the old fashioned rush hour <laughs> get on the train at ten to seven and there won't be anyone sat within two meters of you. Yeah. Um, and even coming back, which is always more tricky, it it still feels relatively safe. It's just unpleasant having to wear that mask. but if you're coming east west on central or the northern line they're telling me it's not as busy as it used to be but it's not not it's nowhere near as safe feeling yeah so there's an issue there um i don't know about you andy but i i'm one of those people that even at my yeah, in my late fifties now, I I still get excited walking out the door in the morning, walking to the station, getting on the train to go into London because it's it's exciting. Well uh, it Except is. it was. Now it's yeah. I'm not too worried about the train journey. I just hate wearing the, the mask. I accept you've got to. I'm not I'm not a, a face mask deny. It's just I don't like wearing it. But the buzz is gone. Yeah. The balance has gone because everyone stay front of, it. of course, it changes the dynamics of the the whole system. Well, I mean, of course, yeah. You know, the the thing I know really well is TfL. And of course, their finances of TfL are shot because since nineteen seventy five they've had seven percent passenger growth until last year actually um, year on year, and now there's no yeah it's losing money hand over fist every day because of the well, ridership we, deal. In
0: 2014, when I was at Aberdeen, we wrote something called how to invest in global winning cities, um, which was about that sort of observation, really. And uh, I was I was writing about why is it that global investors are obsessed by offices per se, and there's good reasons why they should invest in offices. Um, But the fundamental point behind that work that we did was to say that there's something special about cities generally, Um, and we increasingly... You know, over the last 20, 30 years, have recognised that cities are very sensible places to live, work, have leisure, healthcare is better, education, and attainment is better, transport infrastructure's better, um, and people tend to forget why values of things in London have risen as much as they have, and the reason being is that the you know, the, the zone around London is constrained by the green belt, and more people wanted to be in the middle of it, and so you, would, you the, the quip there is that over 10 years, London grew by about a million people. Um, so that's 100,000 a year. That's, you know, in, to put that in your mind, that's something like a train full of people arriving in London every week and not going home. You know, it's, it's an extraordinary thing. So, of course, that density, that intensification was, was fabulous. Now, what happens next? Now, the, the reality is that London is quite a young population. It's a very fertile population. It produces lots of kids. And so, it's naturally growing anyway. And the as much as people talk about suburbanisation, it's very difficult to do that because there's nowhere to go because the suburbs are already full. Um, there's a slight noise on the background, but I don't know if you can hear that, Tim.
1: I okay, can, but nothing we can do about it. Oh,
0: it's gone, though. Um Yeah, so the suburbanisation isn't really possible. So it's not really possible to suddenly place all the people who live in central London in the suburbs because the suburbs are full and people get very you know, caring about Greenbelt and you know, creation of new towns and so on. So I don't. I'm not a believer in London is dead at all. And I'm, you know, as, as you said right at the outset, I think this comes back to whether COVID. I think we learn to cope with it. You know, like we do the flu and you know, HIV and so on. That we, you know, the treatments get better, the conditions under which it's um, controlled get better, um, and that's that seems to be the central case for me. And as we get better at controlling it, then I think we'll see a natural drift back to the to the CBD. Um, but whether that's the same for offices, I don't know because you can't have everyone saying they want to work in the office three days a week. You know, that, that really does change the, the fundamental of the office sector. Um, it doesn't make it bad. It just changes it.
1: Is there, a, I mean, this is something I've been pondering, I'm sure others have as well, that if the nature of the office changes and people work in the office part-time and part-time elsewhere, whether it's at a home office or somewhere out in the burbs or in Starbucks or wherever... Does that create an opportunity to convert some of the excess office space back into resi and people could then move back into the city if it becomes more affordable
0: yeah absolutely well, yeah so there's um there's some government um, like a planning guidance which is if you want to put a porch over your front door that's you'd be able to do that under permitted development rights PDR and that logic has been extended to the conversion of offices to residential so as long as you do that to a certain building regulation standard that's a relatively easy process and yeah I used to be responsible for a fund that did exactly that that it it took commercial buildings and created residential with a view to selling them on and I think it's exactly what you'll see Um, much much more of that because the one thing we don't have is anywhere near uh, enough residential yeah, the, the the office vacancy rate might be 10 or 15 percent but the um yeah the residential vacancy rate is pretty much nil um there's no chance in our lifetime we'll build enough residential so reusing old commercial buildings uh, makes sense and what that's doing that's making the vacancy rate for offices in the suburbs drop like a stone because all the old rubbishy stuff is being taken out um yeah the flat you yeah, know the sort of offices above shops in old high streets and things like that um, and that's a good thing. Right. So that what that naturally will do over time, it will reduce the supply of poor offices and it will it will it will increase the tension in that market again, which will ultimately hold the values up better. So it's a really interesting point you make because it's it's actually the it, the residential is the big story here because we just can't build enough stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I suppose what we're really saying is that. Dealing with this epidemic, uh, doesn't mean we haven't got too. doesn't mean we've got too many buildings. They're just in different places to where perhaps they need to be. And they're set up for a particular purpose, which may need to change. Yeah. And of course, to overcome that, there's some positives and negatives. But I mean, if people can move back into living in the city uh, more affordably. That isn't necessarily a bad thing. And the fact that these things get repurposed, it, it provides more living space, more flexibility in the city. It, I'm putting a really positive spin on a difficult situation, but I can't help it. That's what I'm like.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's right. But it, it, it won't be like that in sub, sub markets of London. So, you know, the Square Mile isn't, you know, the City of London Corporation is, you know, find it difficult to concede that you know, residential is a, you know, is a, a core activity in that market, and I, I understand that logic because it's a place of financial services, <clears throat> which typically are in towers which won't convert well to residential, uh, nor would people particularly want to live there. Um, so it it might not work very well in a you know X square foot, you know million square foot skyscraper, you know where the floor plates aren't quite right. You know um, not all floor plates will convert to residential. Um, so it does need thinking about that. You yeah, know, there's a if people read about this subject, they'll see comments about you know, slums of the future you know there are some very shoddy um, refurbishments of bad offices to become you know bad small apartments you know with you know, homeless people and you know, yeah, you know, I've and seen sort of, that I've seen
1: some of those that's, yeah. yeah that's
0: a it's a dreadful and there's no need for it to be like that um, you know it can be relatively easily controlled but it must be true to say there's a positive there and that must be about you know offices ultimately becoming something else Um, you know only Five years ago, there was a a survey of investor intentions towards office parks, you know, those things like Stockley Park, Chiswick Park and so on. And there was pretty much near universal dislike of them at that point because the suburbs weren't where it was at. Um, And so the office values there dropped like a stone. But of course, now you'd expect those to be rising very fast because it's carborne access, you know, these things surround the M25. Um, You know, that could be a very positive place to be. You might well find some of your... Clients you know, repurposing old retail premises to create offices. You know, it's not out of possibility.
1: Yeah, I, I think. Uh, well, we'll probably end it there on that positive note because th- you're right. I think if you're in the uh, office fit out, the cut and carve type subsector of the uh, industry, in construction industry, the medium term future is extremely bright because there's going to be a lot of repurposing, isn't there? Yeah. lot of repurposing and uh, I I can just see if you get if you're good at doing that it's going to be a very bright future once we've just got over the hump of the epidemic Andy that's been a fascinating uh, discussion which uh, I really thank you very much for coming on there's I think we could have probably gone on for hours and hours and hours we learned about the quince jelly or marmalade uh, for those of you who are listening in from uh, Portugal, you'd know that. Uh, it's been tremendous. So uh, we may well get Andy back on uh, later because obviously that discussion, we could have gone for hours and hours and hours. So thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the uh, Construction Big Breakfast. And we'll see you on the next episode, which we'll be uh, showing in a couple of weeks time. So thank you. And- Goodbye. Come to
0: Invent for the highest R&D tax credit you can claim. We help construction businesses get back millions in tax credits every year. Contact us today for a free review. Thanks for joining us this week on The Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to The Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.